0: ESPN Radio. ESPN Radio.
1: This is ESPN Radio. Amber Wilson and Chris Candy hanging out with you. ESPN Radio is on the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, and on ESPN+. Plus. ESPN Radio is presented to you by Progressive Insurance. You can tweet to us at ChrisCanty99, at AmberW790. You can also join the conversation on the Canty call-in line, one that is 729 We have been talking a lot today about UNC, and we want to know as a sports fan, what feels better, winning a championship Or preventing your rival from winning a championship? Obviously, this question inspired by what Duke and UNC had happened over the weekend. Where UNC not only prevents Duke from winning a championship, but UNC also finishes Coach K's historic career, a career spanning almost 50 years at the helm in college basketball. And Chris Canty, you are adamant, although you've started easing off your position a little bit throughout, like I've crept yeah. you a little bit over the last three hours, but you've been pretty adamant that winning a championship is what matters.
2: No, winning a championship is what matters, but I'll say this, Carolina has an opportunity to have it all tonight, right? They can not only end Coach K's career at Duke prematurely, but also give themselves a chance to add another trophy to the trophy case, putting a little more cushion to their lead as far as national championships go against their Tobacco Road rival. Right now, Carolina has six titles, Duke has five. So it would be nice to be able to say, yeah, in Coach K's final season, we beat them in the final four, which is the first time the two programs ever faced off in the NCAA tournament. And oh, by the way, we added another trophy to the trophy case. Now we have seven national titles to Duke's fifth, to Duke's five. So, I mean, it just it just seems like it would be a dream scenario for Carolina Tar Heels fans and for their players and for Hubert Davis, their first-year coach, if they would be able to finish the drill tonight against Kansas. Just so happens that, Amber, I don't think that's going to happen. I picked Kansas when we were filling out brackets to win the national title, and based on what I've seen from them throughout the NCAA tournament, there is nothing that would make me change my position.
1: Here's the thing with Kansas. There's a reason Kansas is the one seed, right? And, and they yes. are going up against a team who is an eighth seed in this national championship. And although this run from U.S. and UNC has been historic, <laughs> quite literally, um, and has been remarkable under Huber Davis's first year at the helm, This is where I believe the buck stops here because Kansas is just too talented and too deep. Bill Self's team has hit 18 threes on just 33 tries and rung up 128 points in the past 95 possessions. They have beat teams throughout this tournament in a variety of ways, Chris, and it's that tenacity from Kansas. It's that depth from Kansas. It's the fact that they can do it all, that they don't have to do it any one one way, and it's the fact that they have not in this tournament at all let any team control That the the end of the game. I mean, particularly, I mean, the second half with Miami was so reminiscent of that, where Kansas is just so dominant when it matters most, it's really hard to imagine. Even a UNC team that is running on full momentum, even a UNC team that pulled it out against Duke in the final seconds, in the biggest moments, on the biggest stage, it's hard to imagine that they're going to be able to compete at the end of the game here with Kansas.
2: No, I'm with you on that one, and I struggle to see where Carolina has the matchup advantage when it comes to the backcourt players. I, I mean I get it. RJ Davis has been a beast throughout the playoffs. Caleb Love, you saw how he showed out the 28 points against um against Duke, but I mean you're talking about going up against Remy Martin and Ochai Abaji. Like I, I just don't I, I don't see the advantage. I mean, Kansas has got perimeter shooting with Christian Bond. I think Kansas has the advantage when it comes to the big men when you look at Armando Baycott for Carolina versus David McCormack, I, I, and, and the fact that Baycott is coming into this thing, literally limping into this game, I, I don't know. I just I struggle to see where Carolina is going to have the hidden advantage, and Hubert Davis is going to have to scheme up some impressive X's and O's just to make sure that his team is able to match points with the Kansas Jayhawks because, as you mentioned, the last three quarters offensively for Kansas, that second half against Miami in the Elite Eight, and then the two halves of basketball they put together against Villanova, a well-coached team under Jay Wright, I, I just I, I don't see how Carolina pulls off the upset in this game. But I'm sure a lot of people said the same thing about whether or not Carolina would be able to win in Coach K's final home game at Cameron Indoor or Coach K in the Final Four in New Orleans having the kind of talent that he has on that roster with Trevor Keels and Paulo Banquero and all of those guys, Mark Williams all of the players on the Duke Blue Devils. I mean, Seth Greenberg speculated, Amber, that the Duke Blue Devils have as many as five first-round draft picks on their team this year, and Carolina just beat them.
1: Not it's once, but twice.
2: No, yeah. like, like, that that's the thing. Like, it, you know, they beat them in two games in the span of, what, five weeks? So it's just one of those situations where I have a hard time dismissing Carolina, but I just can't see how Carolina wins this game against Kansas tonight.
1: On paper, this is Kansas's game. But in reality, you're right. That momentum of Carolina, the fact that Carolina wasn't supposed to beat the last couple teams they played in this tournament, and they did so, makes you believe that it's possible tonight for Carolina, even against a totally stacked Kansas team. Amber Wilson and Chris Canty here on ESPN Radio. If you are tuning in, hoping to hear Draymond Green's voice, we were as well. He had to reschedule. He would join the show tomorrow with me and Chris instead. So, of course, we are talking about the national championship game tonight, and it's Funny for Kansas as a one seed, though they haven't been garnering the attention because UNC and Duke have been stealing all the attention, and particularly <laughs> Duke. Scott Pollard, 2008 NBA champion and former former Kansas Jayhawk, he said that Kansas is being overlooked.
2: We've been disrespected all year long, and that's fine. Uh, Kansas gets disrespected consistently. We're not in a huge media market. We're not on Tobacco Road, and everybody talks about the Duke North Carolina li- rivalry. We're the only number one left. We were the only number one in the final four. And everybody's talking about the Duke-North Carolina matchup. Like, that was the national championship. And for everyone that is a North Carolina fan and a Duke fan, it was. And that's awesome. Good for them. It's a great rivalry. I'm happy for them. But the national championship is tomorrow. And if North Carolina has a letdown, and, and they have been playing incredible basketball, but if they don't keep that same level of intensity... Kansas is also on a roll, and um, I, I like Kansas' chances if, if North Carolina is looking bad.
1: That sound was from yesterday on ESPN Radio. And he's right. Kansas, as a one seed, has been somewhat overlooked in this tournament, which is bizarre to think because all the attention has been given to the eighth seed on the other side of this game.
2: No doubt about it. And that's the team that everybody's excited about because it's a blue broad program but also just what they did at the end of the regular season in the way that they beat the Duke Blue Devils in Coach K's final game. I mean, think about this, Amber. Coach K felt compelled to come back out after they lost to Carolina at the end of the regular season and address the crowd at Cameron Indoor with, you know, a 100 of his former players in the crowd and just say how embarrassed he was about their performance and how it wasn't representative of the team or the program. That's how badly Carolina beat them at the end of the regular season. And then for your arch rival to come back and do it again in the Final Four, knowing how embarrassing that performance was in the last regular season game, I mean, that speaks volumes to the mental toughness and the fortitude that Hubert Davis and the Carolina Tar Heels have. Now, that being said, that doesn't mean that they're going to be able to go out there and beat Kansas. I I disagree with Scott Pollard from this perspective. Carolina doesn't have to have a letdown to lose to Kansas tonight. Carolina can play with the same amount of intensity that they had on Saturday night, and it's still not be enough against this Kansas Jayhawk team because they're that damn good. Now, I will say this. Bill Self talked about it this year. It's about time for Kansas to start winning national championships again. It's been a long time since 2008, dog. Mm -hmm. Been a real long time since you won a national championship. I mean, if you think about it, since he got to Kansas in 2003, there's only been three seasons where Bill Self hasn't won a regular season championship in the big 12 just three Mm
1: -hmm.
2: so i mean at this point with this collection of talent if you can't get it done against a team that came into the ncaa tournament unranked what does that say about you and your program
1: oh that conversation will be had if Kansas loses to UNC, but it also just feel a little bit like, Hey, this was UNC's magical year as Hubert Davis as a first year head coach. And of course, ending coach K's career. I just don't think that that magic, uh, unfortunately, I guess for UNC fans is going to take them all the way. I think that this is going to be a Jayhawks title tonight, but we will find out tonight with the national championship game. We will also find out in the NBA who has a legitimate shot of winning the West, but we won't find out for a couple weeks, so let's go ahead and theorize. That's next. This is ESPN Radio.
3: ESPN Radio.
1: How many teams in the West are legitimate contenders for an NBA Finals? This is ESPN Radio. ESPN Radio is presented to you by Progressive Insurance. If I told you, Chris Canty, Luka Doncic and the Dallas Mavericks were headed to the NBA Finals. Would you just be too shocked for words? Or would you believe that, hey, Luka's an un- unbelievable player? I mean, against the Bucks, 32-8-15. and 15. You were talking about a really dominant player that I feel like, frankly, gets completely overlooked.
2: Yeah, no doubt about it. But I don't see a world in which the Dallas Mavs make it to the NBA Finals, Amber. I, I just can't buy into that. Because that would mean they would have to be the combination of the three teams at the top of the conference standings, that being the Phoenix Suns, the Memphis Grizzlies, and the Golden State Warriors. And I just don't think that's going to happen if all of those teams are at full strength. And based on the reports that we're hearing, it sounds like that could be the case. So I just don't see a world where Luka Doncic can do enough in order to will his team past those other teams who have been playing more consistent basketball throughout the course of the entire regular season. I will acknowledge that the Phoenix I mean that the Dallas Mavericks have been playing good ball as of late. Mm-hmm. You're talking about winning four of their last five games and uh a couple of those being against conference contenders in the Utah Jazz and the Milwaukee Bucks. So I got to give props where props is due and the fact that they beat the Bucks on Sunday on the road after the week the Bucks had with with Giannis going off against the Sixers and then doing it again against the Nets I got to give them their respect for being able to do that, but I don't know how consistently that Mavs team can play to that level. But this is going to be a team that nobody's going to want to see early on in the playoffs because of how tough they've proven to be against top competition.
1: I won't say it would floor me if the Mavs were in a Western Conference Finals. So they're not going to be my pick for being in that situation. Okay, but I do think Luca is that remarkable of a player, and when you have that great of a player, anything could happen in a best of seven. But it, that that performance against the Bucks that I just referenced—that was his third thirty-point, fifteen-assist performance this season it was his fifth straight 30 point game that's tying the second longest streak in his franchise's history he has been playing unbelievable lately the problem is they need all that and more for him and from him in order to have any success in these playoffs. And I just don't know how realistic that is when everybody else also is going to take their game up a notch into another level. It is not a knock on Luca at all. I just don't know if he has enough around him, frankly. But I do think the West is such a strange conference. And because of that, I'm not totally willing to completely discount it as insanity. The Warriors, yes, to your point, sure. And obviously, we've seen that team win championships in the past. It has been five years, though, since they were that. Warriors team, and they have been dealing with their injuries all season long. We were supposed to have Draymond on. I guess we're going to have him on with us tomorrow. He had to reschedule. But with Draymond, you're talking about him suffering a back injury in January that was unlike any injury he'd suffered midseason in his career. He was out for months. He's just started now to look like the Draymond Green that we used to know, and he did it against the Kings. And so I don't know what that means in terms of the postseason with Steph Curry. He's still out with that foot injury. I'm guessing he's just being extra cautious. If he comes back and he looks like Steph Curry, fine, but I don't know what he's going to look like. So it's hard for me to have frankly the confidence in that Warriors team that I would have had in them had we had this conversation in the beginning of the season and then Memphis to me is a really strange team because I still don't understand how they're just having these stunning wins without jaw it's I I cannot I do not know what to make of it that you are a better team without Jaw Morant (laughs) out there they are 20 and two they beat the Suns Without Ja Morant out there, I don't know what to make of that, but it doesn't feel good to me, Chris. It doesn't feel like a recipe for success, I guess, because it just seems strange the way things have gone for this Grizzlies team. And I'm very proud of that supporting cast for Ja, and I'm very proud of that young team because, man, they are going to be a force to be reckoned with in the seasons to come. It just feels too soon for me with that Grizzlies team.
2: No, I hear you on that, but our very own Jay Williams doesn't seem to think it's too soon for the Memphis Grizzlies, and a lot of it is based on how the Grizz defend. They're fourth in defensive efficiency in the NBA this season, and when you play defense at that clip and you also play with the third best pace of anybody in the NBA, that's going to give you a chance to win a lot of games no matter who's on the court, and the Memphis Grizzlies have a ton of depth. You're talking about a team that's 9-10 deep. They got guys in the rotation on top of guys that are in the rotation. They play a lot of young players. It's a very energetic style. And sometimes you don't know what you don't know. And I feel like there's a lot of that same vibe with the Dallas Mavs, and that's why I'll give Jason Kidd a lot of credit for what he's been able to do because that team is based on how they defend. They are seventh in defensive efficiency, and so if you're able to bring that kind of defense to the party – in a Western Conference that seems like they're up for grabs outside of the Phoenix Suns, I think you've got a shot. And so that's why I won't completely dismiss the Dallas Mavericks in terms of being able to get to the Western Conference Finals, but they just don't seem like a team that can make it to the NBA Finals. I don't think we live in that world, especially as Luka Doncic is. I I, I don't think he's going to be able to will this entire team to that kind of place in the standings. I just don't see it. Now, I will acknowledge – they're only a game behind the Golden State Warriors. So we'll see what happens over the course of the next three games in the regular season because that could change in terms of their position in their standings. They could move up to three. So we'll have to keep a close eye on that, but – Will that I mean, make I'm you exce- believe
1: in them anymore, though? I mean, if they if they end up with a 3C, which is entirely possible here, particularly without Steph down the stretch here for the Warriors, does that make you believe I like the, in I, them? I
2: like, yeah, I like them a lot better in a first-round matchup against the Utah Jazz. I mean, who doesn't like the Utah Jazz in the playoffs matching up against them versus playing against the Denver Nuggets with Nikola Jokic, a guy that's poised to win a, another MVP? Like, I, I just – I like their chances much better against Utah than I do against Denver.
1: Denver is one of those teams, too, where, I mean, we're we're all overlooking Denver, even though they have, you know, the best player in the West this entire season, and yet we're overlooking them like they're a non-factor in the West. It's just a very strange conference once you get past the Suns. Like, I don't think anybody <laughs> doesn't believe in the Suns. And then after that, there's arguments to be made against all of these teams. And it can't just be the Suns in the Western Conference Finals. Somebody has to be out there playing with that team. And that's what's so, so strange about this season. Season. The Memphis Grizzlies, by the way, according to ESPN stats and info. They're on pace to be the best winning percentage in NBA history in games played without a 25 points per game score wow. because of how much time Ja has missed this season. By the way, the fifth team on that list of NBA all-time is this Phoenix Suns team without Devin Book- Booker. They are 8-3 and three this season without Devin Booker. Um, so both of those teams are stacked, even when at times they are missing their star players. But man, that Phoenix Suns team just feels so above and beyond everybody else in that western conference coming up next we go back to college hoops how does unc focus on tonight's game after the emotional high of beating duke a former unc player weighs in that's next this is espn radio
3: espn radio
1: UNC needs to keep its eyes on the prize, but did they already win the prize? This is ESPN Radio. Amber Wilson and Chris Canty hanging out with you. ESPN Radio is presented to you by Progressive Insurance. Tonight, the North Carolina Tar Heels take on the Kansas Jayhawks. It is a 9.20 p.m. Eastern tip-off in the national championship game. So for the Tar Heels' perspective, we bring in... Raymond Felton, who, of course, played for the Tar Heels. He won a national championship with the Tar Heels. He also spent 14 years in the league. Raymond, thanks so much for joining us.
3: Oh, no problem. Thanks for having me on.
1: So Raymond, we have been asking all show long and we've been asking it from a sports fan perspective, but I'm going to get now the player perspective from you. We have been asking what feels better winning a championship or preventing your rival from winning one. And this is, of course, inspired by what UNC did over the weekend. And we've been discussing whether it was more important now, at this point, for UNC to end Duke's season and end Coach K's career, or whether it's more important for UNC to actually win a national championship tonight, is this just icing on the cake, Raymond?
3: Oh, uh, well, it's not really icing on the cake. I think, you know, definitely beating our rival team and, you know, just in a in timely fashion of it happening. You know, when you get to this point, it's one game at a time. So it just happened to be, you know, Duke Blue Devils in our way. So with them being in that way, you know they had to go down. So it's just you get to the you get to this point. The ultimate goal is tonight is to win tonight. That's the ultimate goal, no matter what. But it just makes it that much sweeter though that we beat Duke to get there.
2: <laughs> Talking to former Carolina point guard, 2005 national champ, and latter high school legend Ray Felton on ESPN Radio and. Ray, I got to ask you this question, spinning it forward to tonight's matchup against the Jayhawks. What do your Tar Heels need to do in order to get the dub against Bill Self's group?
3: Um, That's a well-coached team over there. They're very talented. And um, it's going to be a dogfight, man. I think just continue to do the things they've been doing. You know, just stay, stay composed, play Carolina basketball, play hard, give it everything they got, you know, and just see what happens. I mean, that's all you can really do in that situation. You know, um, two very good teams, two very good programs. And I think with, you know, Bangkok, those guys just really just battling and just dominate the inside like he's done pretty much for the whole season and definitely in a tournament, the way he's been just grabbing 18, 20 boards like he's nothing. If he continue to control the paint and Caleb Love and R.J. Davis, those guys control the outside and run the team. You know, I think R.J. I don't think R.J. really gets a lot of credit that he should. He's done a great job since the Marquette game, first game of of the tournament, just running the team and doing his job. You know, if he needed to score big numbers, he did. If he needed to go out and get ten, fourteen assists, you know, and run the team successfully without doing a lot of scoring, he's done that as well. So, you know, I got to give a shout out to my own um, my young boy, man. The point guard He's done a great job, and Caleb Love what can i say man this kid just earned himself a whole lot of money you know he's definitely definitely going to um nba draft next year in my opinion
1: Raymond Felton joining us here on ESPN Radio, former UNC point guard, 2005 national champion, of course, 14-year NBA vet as well. And you said that tonight is the ultimate goal, so it's championship or bust for you. But you guys did, of course, beat Duke to get there. How does Hubert Davis ensure that the players don't have some sort of emotional hangover from everything that they had to endure in getting past Duke on Saturday night?
3: Well, I mean, it's just the, I mean, it's just the point of, like, we got this far, guys. Like, no, you know, why stop here? You no, know, granted, you know, that was a great win. It was a very emotional win, you know, and, and that's great. But, you know, like I said, once you get to the final four, once you get that far, the ultimate goal is to win it all. So I know that's what those guys have on their mind. I know they're not just sitting there like, oh, my God, like, we beat Duke, you know, now we happy, you know, we satisfied. No, we can't be satisfied with that. You know, the ultimate goal is to go get a championship. That's the ultimate goal.
2: Ray, I got to ask you this, because this is Hubert Davis's first year as the Carolina head basketball coach, and he's replacing a legend in his own right in Roy Williams. What would it mean for him to win a national championship in year one and take over the Carolina program?
3: Oh, man, that would be amazing, man.
2: That would be amazing.
3: I'm, I'm, I'm so happy right now for Hubert, just the job he's done with those guys, keeping those guys on course, keeping those guys' confidence up. You know, when they struggled early in the season, just – just making sure they stayed the course and kept their confidence and kept playing and kept playing and kept playing. And just, just look where they're at now. You know, it's just amazing. It just shows what type of coach he is. He's a player's coach, he's a great coach. And I'm just, you know, I'm happy to be, I'm happy to call myself a Heel.
1: You mentioned some of the team or some of the players on this Tar Heels team that are, of course, key to their success so far in this tournament. You mentioned Caleb Love as part of that. He has had Mm -hmm. a really insane last 30 days. I mean, frankly, an insane season. You're talking about a player who, you know, when the all ACC teams were announced, he didn't make the first team, the second team, even the third team. He was an honorable mention, and he's been a breakout star here in this tournament. How impressed have you been by Caleb Love?
3: I've been impressed with Caleb all year ever since he got to Carolina. you know granted you know he he needed to mature and grow and was what, what better time to mature and grow in the tournament <laughs> like that's 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 when you're supposed to grow up and really show what type of player you are, like granted, you know what I'm saying like he didn't get none of those accolades during the um during the regular season, but I mean he's getting all the praise now, and this is when it counts, so man, let us listen i'm um, I'm happy for the kids. He's done a great job with, you know, at some points putting his team on his back and, you know, hitting big shots and just demanding the ball when the, when the game is on the line. That's what I love about him. He don't shy away from the big moments. He wants the ball, and that's that's special.
2: Ray, I know you bleed Carolina blue, but I want to ask you to be as objective as possible with this next question that I got to pose okay. to you. When these two teams take the court tonight, from a talent standpoint, is Ochai Abaji the most talented player on the court in the game tonight?
3: I can't say that. I can't say that, and I'm not, and I like, and and I get what you're saying. Like, you know, I'm not saying that because I'm a Tar Heel, but just looking at the tournament, I, I to me, my opinion, I don't think he's being aggressive enough. Mm. You know, I'm not trying to say that. I'm not trying to say that to to make him be aggressive tonight either. But um, <laughs> to me, to, to me, to me, he's just not. He just he hasn't been aggressive as I think he should be offensively, and for a guy that's. Like you say, he is really talented and can score the ball, can do a lot of things. But he's just not aggressive enough for me. Like, Caleb Caleb Love is aggressive. He gets the ball, he's going to score. He's going to attack mode. He's going at you. And I don't see that as much in, in the young fella from Kansas. I just don't.
1: Raymond Felton, 14 here, NBA vet, former UNC point guard, 2005 national champion. So, obviously, you do bleed uh, that Tar Heel blue. How much do they win by tonight, Raymond? I'm not even going to ask you who you're taking. I know who you're taking. How much?
3: (laughs) It doesn't even matter to me. They can win by one. As long as they win, that's all I care about. But um, I think it's going to be a close game. I don't think it's going to be a blowout either way. Um, But, you know, if I – If I had to choose a number, I'd say we went by somewhere around about six, or about six points, four to six points.
1: Okay, you heard it here first. Hey, Raymond, thanks so much for giving us some of your time.
3: Oh, no problem. Thanks for having me anytime.
1: ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Progressive makes bundling easy and affordable. Get a multi-policy discount by combining your car, home, motorcycle, commercial, auto, and more. All your protection in one place. Bundle and save at Progressive.com. When we come back, Tiger Tiger Woods, y'all, he's on the prowl at Augusta. We'll explain. This is ESPN Radio.
3: ESPN
0: Radio.
1: Tiger Woods says it's going to be a game time decision on whether he competes in the 86th Masters, which is scheduled to begin this coming Thursday. He did give us a tweet on Sunday that says he continued his preparation and his practice. Sources told ESPN that Woods played an 18 hole practice round at Augusta National, and we know that he has been out there practicing with his son, Charlie. We know that he got through all 18, Chris Canty. If Tiger Woods can actually get out there and actually play the Masters, it doesn't matter how well he does. It would be a remarkable feat.
2: Oh, no doubt, especially being about a year away or a year removed from the accident that we saw um, last year where he nearly lost his leg. And so for Tiger Woods to be a part of the game at this stage, to even have the potential to participate, I think everybody's excited about it and everybody wants to celebrate it. Amber, I don't even think it's a matter of how he plays or whether or not he finishes just the fact that Tiger Woods is out there and he's associated with the biggest platform that golf has to offer, playing at the Masters down at Augusta, that, that to me would be special in and of itself. The sport is much better off when it comes to Tiger Woods being a participant than Tiger Woods being sidelined due to injury. I mean, the number one golfer in the world is Scotty Scheffler. How, do you, how many people you think know that Scotty Scheffler is the number one ranked golfer in the world? Not too many. People
1: don't, right. Exactly.
2: That's the, that's many, the whole point. Not
1: many. No, yeah, exactly. You're the, but, I do think. I do think there's some. You know. I do think there's some young guys out there with star power, the Jordan Speece of the world. I do think no, that there are do, guys you, in golf that do rate, but nobody rates like Tiger. Ricks. Nobody you know, DeChambeau does. DeChambeau doesn't rate like Tiger, even though he absolutely rates. No,
2: nobody. But nobody's Tiger Woods, though. Nobody has has had the dramatic moments that Tiger Woods has had on these stages, in, in these grand slams, Like, nobody has had that. Like, in, in the in the most important events that golf has to offer, nobody has had th- those those signature moments like Tiger Woods. And so, I just go back to, you know, him having the potential to be an ambassador for the game, to actually be out there playing in, in a symbolic form. That, that, that to me, it, it, it would mean everything. And for him to, to come into Augusta National last week and then to play practice rounds... If it were a situation where he didn't end up teeing off on Thursday, it would be somewhat anticlimactic for me because, you know, with this tease with Tiger Woods flirting with participating in the Masters, if he doesn't do it, as a fan of the sport, I would be disappointed. So, yeah, I absolutely want to see Tiger Woods play. The game is more interesting. The field is more interesting knowing that he's going to be out there walking with all the other golfers
1: we're only a year removed from doctors thinking that they were going to have to amputate his right leg. It would be a remarkable story of tigers out there.
3: ESPN radio.
2: Isn't it about being able to add more trophies? To the trophy case, is not just about beating Duke, right? Did the other night was a drop the mic on Duke. Don't come to
0: me if you a Dukie trying to talk about what y'all can do because we stopped that the other night. Shutting down his career, that was awesome.
1: We are coming down the stretch here on ESPN Radio, Amber Wilson and Chris Canty. You can tweet to us at Chris Canty99 at Amber W790. We have had a lot of help on today's show. CL Brown, the news and observers UNC beat writer, he joined us earlier to talk all things tar heels. Mina Kimes Join the show to unpack some NFL off-season talk and some trade talk that happened today. And Raymond Felton, of course, 14-year NBA vet, former UNC point guard, 2005 national champion. He joined us as well to talk some Tar Heels basketball. We were scheduled to have Draymond Green on the show today. He had to reschedule until tomorrow. He will be joining me and Chris Canty tomorrow on tomorrow's show. So make sure you tune in tomorrow to hear Draymond Green. But right now on today's show, it is time to go three. And out.
0: Sometimes it's the worst, Worst. Worst. sometimes it's the best. best. Either way, we'll get you straight with everything you need to know. This is three. three and out.
1: Frank Gore has announced that he is retiring. He was a third round pick to the San Francisco 49ers out of Miami in 2005. He played the first 10 years of his career in San Francisco before he made stops in Indy, Miami, Buffalo, and the Jets. He did not play for a team last season. He had nine 1,000-yard rushing seasons. He has played in more games than any other player in NFL history, Chris Canty. Mm. He has played in 241 games. His 16,000 rushing yards ranks third all-time behind. Hall of Famers Emmitt Smith and Walter Payton. Is Frank Gore a Hall of Famer?
2: Oh, no doubt about it. I mean, when you look at the resume, Amber, how could he not be? I mean, he's third on the all-time rushing list behind Emmitt Smith and Walter Payton and in front of Barry Sanders and Adrian Peterson. All of those guys are going to have gold jackets. So, yeah, Frank Gore is absolutely a Hall of Famer. And I understand the argument. Like, people will say, well, he played so many games. He compiled stats. He just hung around in order to, you know, solidify his standing, his case for the Hall. Well, in sports like baseball and basketball, you know, sports that aren't collision sports, I could understand that argument. Not in football. In football, being available, being healthy to play in 241 games is a testament to your abilities as a player. Like, the best ability is availability. That's what Herm Edwards said once upon a time. So I give Frank Gore all the props for being able to stay healthy, for the most part, throughout his NFL career, especially given how his college career got started, because you're talking about a guy that had multiple knee reconstructions when he was down in Miami. Amber, I'm sure you're very familiar with that story. But Frank Gore, you won't find a better person in the National Football League, and it's hard to find too many guys that were better players than Frank Gore. So he absolutely deserves to be in the Hall of Fame.
1: Frank Gore is one of the most durable bags that we have ever seen over the last multiple decades. You mentioned uh, that uh, his third all-time ranking there, he's fourth all-time in yards from scrimmage. He's fifth all-time in all-purpose yards. Uh, Part of the reason, yes, that he's in all these all-time lists so high is because he played for so long. But to your point, it is remarkable to be able to play. It is remarkable in the NFL to play longer than three years, let's be honest. Or play longer, what is it, two and a half years or whatever the average is right now. And especially at that position. I feel I find it so much more remarkable when you're talking about that position. I mean, we never even want to hand running back second contracts anymore these days. Like, we don't even want to pay them or we want to have conversations about how paying Ezekiel Elliott's a disaster, or Kristen McCaffrey, or any of these guys that we have these conversations about in today's day and age. What Frank Gore has done here with the durability and the availability 241 games. Listen, You're in the hall playing 241 games. I don't care even if you didn't play them well, which you played most of those very well, but even if you didn't, I'm putting you in the hall just for being out there 241 times in those NFL games. A remarkable career for Frank Gore. He plans to sign a one-day contract with the San Francisco 49ers to retire as part of the team that drafted him.
2: Amber, and also another thing to big up Frank Gore, I mean, when you take a look at his actual story, I mean, battling a learning disability when he was in high school, showing up for his mom when she was not well when he was in college. I mean, you're talking about somebody that had to have an incredible amount of fortitude and mental toughness in order to be able to make it into the National Football League, let alone to play as long as he did. So I just want to make sure I put that out there because we got to give major props where props is due. Frank Gore – I mean, this guy went through a lot to be able to have the career that he did in the National Football League. And I don't think that a lot of people fully appreciate the gravity of what it took in order to accomplish what he did.
1: He was a five-time Pro Bowl selection. He was selected to the 2010s All-Decade Team. In our book here on ESPN Radio, he is also a future Hall of Famer, but I think it will be that way in the Hall of Fame book one day as well. Uh, Moving on to tonight, there is a little matchup. It's called a national championship game. It is between Kansas and UNC. They tip off at 9.20 p.m. tonight Eastern. The eighth seed in UNC taking on the one seed in Kansas Chris Canty, we have been talking all show long about what's more important, winning a championship or preventing your rival from winning one. Is UNC satisfied with what they've done so far? Bobby in North Carolina, he chimed in earlier in the show.
0: I know there's a game tonight, and I hope we win. But guess what? I could give two dead flies. (laughs) Period. I don't care. And the thing is, nobody's going to remember this game if Kansas wins. They won't. The only way that anybody's going to remember this game is if NC wins, and it it still will be a footnote to the story of what we did to Duke. Uh, As a dodd in the World Carolina fan, that was my national championship last uh, Saturday night. I'll take a state championship over a national championship any day in this case, man. Um, Coach K's a great coach, one of the best. He is college basketball, and that's a lot coming from a uh, North Carolina fan. But, man, I'm glad we sent him out with an L.
2: Well, Bobby, Bobby, you got to help me understand this, right? Because the standard is the standard at Carolina, right? You've got six national championships. Isn't it about being able to add more trophies to the trophy case? It's not just about beating Duke, right? No, no, no. Bro, 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 you don't understand. This is the ultimate trophy. Oh, okay. This is the
0: ultimate trophy. Ask any Carolina fan, any real Carolina fan, alum, whatever. This is the ultimate trophy. Sending Coach K out twice. Final regular season, final um, postseason. Send him to the house with L's. Love him to death, but he got to go. And guess what? We sent him on his way with an L.
1: Well, he got to go, and he did go. The Tar Heels did end Coach K's career. He started his career losing to North Carolina. He ended his career, almost a 50-year-long career, uh, losing again to North Carolina. But tonight, the the Tar Heels have one more thing to do here. They're trying to win a national championship. Mm. who you got tonight, Chris Canty?
2: Well, listen, I'm glad that Bobby felt like he got his trophy on Saturday night because that's going to be the only trophy that this Carolina team has to hold up from this season. I got the Kansas Jayhawks, and I'm going to pick them to cover the number, which is four points. I'll lay the four with the Jayhawks, and I'll probably bet the over at 151. I'll probably go over on the total number of points scored. Um, But I'm rolling with the Jayhawks. I think Kansas takes care of their business. They probably lead this game wire to wire.
1: Chris Canty providing us the gambling advice there. Yeah, no, I'm, uh,
2: oh. I'm channeling yes. my inner Aaron, Aaron Dolan. I'm, I'm channeling that. That's what I got <laughs> I going on right now. I do think that
1: Ochai Obaji is the best player on that court. I think he's unbelievable. I think the talent of Kansas is just too deep and too good. Kansas takes it tonight. 72-64, to 64, also taking it tonight. Spain and Fitz, they're coming up next. This is ESPN Radio.